0: Hello everyone, today I wanted to talk to you about the Enneagram. I actually just released my most recent skit for the Enneagram number two musician, which is like the helper musician, I tap into my whole violin teacher side, and I think it'll be relatable for a lot of you if you're teachers of any sort, especially music teachers. I am also preparing for an Enneagram talk that I will be giving to a writers group in February, so I thought this would be a good time to review some of my initial thoughts when I listened to the audiobook, The Road Back to You, by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. So here are the first half of the nine Enneagram types, and in another post, I will do the second half. And if you would like to actually watch the video skits that I do for each of these, you can find them on my YouTube account, Ashley Rescott, and also on my website, RescottCreative.com. So I hope that you find them entertaining. Hello, everyone. As many of you know, I have started my new uh, series of posts about the Enneagram. And disclaimer, I am by no means an expert, but I do find it fascinating. Uh, A couple years ago, I listened to a post by um, K.M. Wayland the author, and she recommended using it for typecasting your characters. So I created a series of several different characters um, to match the Enneagram with different types of musicians. and. Uh, a few days ago, one of my friends recommended that I read The Road Back to You, which is one of many books on the Enneagram. So since I'm an audiobook girl, I'm listening to it, and I thought I would talk a little bit about the different types as I'm reading and my reactions. So uh, in this one, The Road Back to You by, let me pull up, Ian Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. So I'll put links in, in my uh, description. Anyway, he starts with the big guns with number eight, which happens to be the next one for my posts. I'm starting with nine and working my way down. He starts with eight and then wraps around. So I feel like eight is one of the hardest. I took the official Enneagram test yesterday and eight was my lowest score. (laughs) I just have a harder time relating to the kind of more domineering leader, big cause personalities. Um, but I liked how the author shed some light on them, because I sometimes am quick to judge them in all honesty, uh, especially, I hate to say, political leaders on either side of the spectrum. I feel like they go to extremes, and they're hardcore about their causes, and I'm like, I just want peace. Why can't everyone compromise and get along? Uh, but it really gave me a bit more of appreciation and insight into w- where they're coming from. They want to at their best they want to be helpful they want to be able to stand up for people and uh, you know that, that maybe don't have that strength to do themselves And so I, I enjoyed his his take on it. They're very black and white thinkers uh, so they, they think a lot about right and wrong and I'm kind of an artsy person so I like to think that you know there's sometimes is a middle there also are things that are right and wrong but I also like to think there's there's gray areas too. So, yes, my next week's post will be on the character eight, who is the villain in my story, which kind of makes sense since it's the character I I couldn't quite understand as well. But I'm hoping to make him a little bit more well-rounded after setting up on the eights. And it gives me a little more appreciation for our political leaders and anyone who takes a place in office either side. That's that's a really hard um, position to have. So I'm trying to develop some respect for those eights. I'll be back as I read more chapters. Uh, Nine will be next. This time we are delving into the Enneagram nine type, the peacemaker. And isn't this the person that we all love, (laughs) especially during a time when everything seems so divided and people are angry on both sides. I am just so grateful for the peacemakers in this world who work to compromise and really, help validate other people and their feelings and their thoughts. And I loved, um, the take that the author, Ian, uh, Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile took in their road back to you for the peacemaker. Um, the, the big things they said for the peacemakers is that, um, they need to get a little bit more energized and try to figure out who they are as people. And I wouldn't say that I am the nine, type I didn't relate to a whole lot of the just general um, comments about them but I do relate to wanting people to compromise and um, and get along so I thought it was fascinating uh, I have several peacemaker uh, types in my family um, one of my sisters for sure is and I think my dad is And just they're so loving and always there for you. And I think the big thing he also said was that we need to make sure we take time to validate those people in our lives because sometimes they can easily get overlooked or taken for granted. And so saying, you know, we value you, we see you, um, and we want to, you know, support you in your dreams as well. So I love the Peacemaker. And again, that was actually my second lowest one, though, after that, my challenger was my lowest and the peacemaker was ironically my second lowest when I took the test, um, yesterday, but I have great respect for, for the peacemakers. All right, friends, let's tackle the Enneagram one, which is different names, but you can have the reformer, the perfectionist, the idealist. And wow, this one was one of the more emotional ones for me, um, actually, when I read it, it's still part of the kind of the gut triad, um, which is why the author started with these three. And I grew up in a home with a wonderful, um, mother who, yes, yeah, so she identifies as a one and just looking back, I mean, she was fabulous. I have, you know, four sisters and the way she was able to keep our home running, she would have us up in the mornings practicing uh, at like six thirty in the morning. We would practice violin and piano both every day and she really wanted us to strive to be the very best people we could be and there is no way I would be where I am if I hadn't had her amazing personality Um, now that I'm a mom and I only have two (laughs) but just looking back at how she was able to work with five of us and have us all proficient on two instruments is just phenomenal and the book talked about how these ones their their homes look so wonderful and they want to have everything sitting out right and looking beautiful uh when you come over and they're such good hostesses and hosts and um, one of my sisters says she's a one as well and just yet when i go into mom and dad's home or my sister's home and just everything is out nice and they have little candy bowls and great interior design and decor and everything has its place and I have so much respect for ones, um, wonderful, one character, one people in my life. Uh, I did get emotional though, because I thought back to my kind of high school self, my growing up self and thinking, wow, I was so disciplined and motivated and driven. And I had my schedule and I just really, at the time thrived on that. And I think what was hard was I took the test as me now, as an adult and the reformer was my third lowest so all of the gut ones were my low ones and I think that hit home a little bit I was like I need new systems in my home to better organize especially now that I have children I'd like to be more motivated in my daily writing or my daily practicing and I guess kind of how did I lose that one side of my personality um that I had back in high school, I did take like a shortened version of the test and was like, think high school Ashley. And in that case, I, I did have a strong one side. So I guess I delved a little bit into why did I have it? Why did I lose it? And what parts of that one, do I need to re-implement into my life? So I think a big reason I had a strong one was I'm a firstborn of the five. And then with the one mom, I'm a people pleaser. So I wanted, you know, my parents to be proud of me. I was driven. Um, and yeah, very, you know, successful in my in my growing up years. The biggest reason I stopped being as much of a one was when I ran into an injury in college. Um I was so driven to be practicing, 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 which many of you musicians maybe can relate to. I would practice for too many hours on end without breaks, and I developed severe tendinitis, and I ended up having to stop playing for lengthy periods of time. Um, Like I had a cast on my arm for six weeks at one point just to give my arm rest, and that really did shake up my identity and my psyche at that time in my life, Um, because I put so much identity in what I could do and my accomplishments, and then when I that was kind of taken away from me, I really had to relook at how do I structure my day, how do I look at my time, and as I was studying the one yesterday, it shows that ones in stress, move to fours, and that makes sense because you'll find out later what my probably is. You can probably guess, um, but going into stress, one moves to four. And that's basically what I've seen in my life. And so, but then fours, if they're in healthy can move towards the one again. And I guess, yeah, give it away. I'm a four. (laughs) And so there's a lot of good aspects of four, but they do need to tap into that kind of um, one driven mindset to pull off some of their projects. So yeah, I was about, you know, kind of about to cry yesterday as I thought about how do I retap into that one and again not to go to an extreme perfectionist side or not to be like oh everything has to be just so but I did have to work through the emotions of I felt like that one lifestyle failed me when my health kind of failed I had multiple areas where I'd kind of gone too far with my you know drivenness and caused physical injury um, I had it with from running as well. I would run so much. I had like an ankle injury and then I couldn't run as much. So I, in my mind, I felt like, oh, being a one failed me. So I need to go the opposite, um, which is kind of what I adopted, um, after I was kind of 20 years old and have moved more into that. So I'll be curious to see if I can uh, recapture a little bit of my oneness again, <laughs> maybe not have it be quite so low on my score. And that'll help my drivenness, too, I think, and, and being able to succeed with my artistic goals. So thanks. That was my more um, <laughs> more intimate post. Time to talk Enneagram two, the helper. So in complete opposite of what I talked about in Enneagram one, where I'd been a strong one in high school and moved away from it more uh, during, after college, the Enneagram 2, I was not much of that during high school. I was much more interested in practicing, doing my studies, and I really didn't worry too much with my friends, you know, if I had friends at school, I mean, a little bit, but, um, I wasn't as worried about that during those years. Uh, but when I moved to college, I was much more interested in having more friends, and I wanted to be more involved in people's lives, and now I'm a mom of two. So the helper, the stereotypical mom helper, has majorly risen in my enneagram to the point that when I took the test, it actually placed me as a two. Um, now I also read that as a mom, you should maybe look at your next ones to figure out if that's really your innate your innate one, or if just as a mom, that's kind of the role. That's kind of the role you've been put into. So at this point, yes, I have such a drive to take care of my family. I'm always wanting to help, um, whether it's my children, my husband, my, you know, parents, my sisters, my in-laws, and sometimes I get, and I still have three grandparents alive. So sometimes I get stressed, like, how do I take care of everybody? Um, and still get my work done. And so, yes, I have majorly shifted more into that helper people pleasing role, Um, of number two in my adult years. However, (laughs) the whole wanting to, you know, have the perfect looking house, I want that, but I don't really like doing the work that it takes to do that, which sounds really horrible. So I struggle with like the dishes and the amount of cooking that's required to take care of a family. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's easier for me to do a performance or write my novel or pretty much anything else rather than have to clean or um, cook boring things. Now, if it's making fancy, fun food that's creative, then yes, I love that. But if it's just like, oh, I need to make another, you know, set of um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or <laughs> chicken nuggets, I, I struggle with the daily manani, hence audiobooks and podcasts and music, you know, that, that kind of keep my brain connected as I'm doing the more daily tasks. So yeah, for all you moms or parents out there, it's very normal for your Enneagram to look like a two, because that is a role that we we kind of have to play in order to, to keep our children alive. Um, but I think the important thing is to not totally forget your creative side or the, the person that you were before you became a parent and before you stepped into that role. And so try to make some time for the creative outlets in your life because your children will see that and you want them to realize like that side of you that you have those, you know, creative or academic pursuits and you want them to be able to emulate that someday and, and respect you for it. So, um, I love the, the other twos of my life. Um, again, I have a sister, I think that's two and I think my, um, one of my grandmothers is a two and just so giving. So give, I think when I, when I think of them, just such giving hearts all the time. And yeah, I want to make sure they feel appreciated too. All right. Last one for the day. Uh, I'm concluding today with the Enneagram three. So this is the achiever or the performer. And I love the threes. Of course, I end up being like, oh, I love most of them, you know. Um, But as a performer by nature, um, the three is one of my wings. It wasn't my primary, but it it was my wing. And yeah, I love to perform. I love getting up on stage. I love the thrill of being in front of an audience. There's just something about that that's just um, invigorating for me. It's also somewhat terrifying at times, especially if it's a harder, <laughs> a harder piece. But I just people have told me I light up when I'm on stage, and I know I've been sometimes in rehearsals where I'm like, eh, okay, whatever, or practicing, which I know we need to do. Um, but <laughs> just not quite as excited, and then be like, wow, you change when you're in front of the audience. And you just kind of have this energy and you light up and um, hopefully I'm fun to watch. I try to be. And yes, the three side of me is coming out because in these videos I've done today, yes, I've changed clothes for each one. And that's because I think that each Enneagram has a different color to go with its personality. (laughs) So I started, yes, with black and white for Enneagram 8 because they see life in black and white. And then I did kind of a maroonish brown for nine because brown is the mixture of all the colors and the nines are trying to figure out what are they, you know, where's, where's their, um, So It's kind of a mixture of all of them. One was wearing red because their big thing is sometimes they struggle with anger. So kind of exploding, but they're also like great teachers. So I kind of thought apples, you know, um, and because my Enneagram one character will wear red in the story. And then for two, I went with blue because it's just kind of peaceful and calm and they're taking care of everybody and they're those like calm waters that we need. And for Enneagram three, I am wearing silver sparkles and because they like to shine on stage. (laughs) So, yeah, it's kind of the sparkly personality, um, but also gray because they could kind of change depending on their their performance. So I think a good example of my three wing was when I was um, looking at houses with my husband and we had a realtor that, I hate to admit this, but she was really awful. Um, didn't know what she was talking about, but I had been so trained to perform well that I still talked to her really nicely. And by the time we were done, my husband and I were talking and he was like, so what do you think? And I was like, oh, uh, you know, I didn't think she really knew what she was talking about. And he goes, really? You didn't act like that at all. So, again, not sure if I should be proud of that or not, but my performance side said, you know, still be nice, even if you think she's an idiot. And then my husband was in shock when he found out, yeah, I didn't really think she knew what she's talking about. So, threes can be called posers and obviously taken to an extreme. They don't know their own identity. They morph into different things, whatever. They, they read the crowd and they morph into that. Um, and, but I don't... I think they can also take it in the good side of it. How do you look at your audience and you see what they need? Uh, And I do that as a performer. If I am playing for a classical loving audience, I'm probably going to play classical. If I am playing for, you know, a a wedding in a barn or, you know, a party in a barn, I'm probably going to play fiddle. You know, if I can tell that they're really into pop and they want an upbeat, jazzy, you know cocktail hour, then I'm going to pull out the, the pop music. So I think there is a place to be able to adapt to your audiences. And so I like to give Thresa a thumbs up for that. Just make sure you still look into what is your identity and, you know, don't be a poser in a deceptive way, um, but use it more in a way to serve your audience. So hopefully you're having fun on this Enneagram journey with me and I'll be back in a few days with more.